Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Christina Bendek. Her novel Salt Crystals was published in 2018. It won the Elisa Mujica Prize for Novels and it's just been translated and released in the UK. We talk about why speaking to yourself is key, really helps you carry on when you're writing. Also, how poetry reminds her what she needs to do. And you can hear what she needs to plan before she starts. What I do need to keep very clear is the sort of paradigm from from which the whole narrative will operate. This is very important because of because if not, if we don't have this clear, then the voice will just not work. Um, so maybe yes, for longer texts, then you do need to know. Otherwise, you can get lost very easily, and it will be very frustrating. There is loads more. We really get deep in this one. It's Christina Bendek in a brand new writer's routine. Yes. Welcome along. It's Writer's Routine, where we take a look around the working day, the life, the space of some of the best authors on the planet. My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you for being there, for following, sharing, finding us, telling anyone, shouting it down. I don't care. As long as thank you so much for being there. Uh, This week, we are with Christina Bendek, who is a Caribbean author. She was born on the island of San Andres. And in 2018, she explored her relationship with the island uh, in Salt Crystals. It won the Elisa Mujica National Novel Prize, which is a huge Colombian novel prize. Uh, It's been translated into loads of different languages, and it's just come out here in the UK. Uh, It's all about Victoria trying to make sense of everything, the state of the world, the state of her island, the state of her emotions, where she lived. Uh, There are some autobiographical aspects of this. It goes a bit deeper. Um, It's extremely prosaically written, interwoven with a a commentary on the political situation of where the island of San Andres lies. Uh, We talk about how rain is the best thing for her writing. Also, why setting a word goal doesn't work. Also about writing prosaically, about working with a translator. And I think quite fantastically, she goes into brilliant detail about why it is quite hard for the people living on the island losing a sense of identity because quite a lot of the oceans around them have been taken recently. And that's what the novel tries to come to terms with. How do they deal with that? So we find out all that along the way. And we start things off, as we always do, with Christina Bendek and what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Well, right now I'm seeing a bunch of pens, different coloured uh, different colors, um, markers, pens, sort of uh, uh, colored pencils. I'm seeing a small um, postcard I brought from Budapest. Mm, I'm seeing a few books from my publisher in Bogota and a mirror. Um, so the mirror and then, so that's in the space where you're writing. Are, are, you on, are you on a desk? Are you writing on a table or on your lap? I am on a desk, but this is just one of the spaces from where I write because I am in Bogota and actually um, where I write in San, I have different uh, spaces because I'm moving around a lot. And in San Andres, I will be mentioning different things. For example, a flag of uh, the island of Old Providence, which is a neighboring island uh, from San Andres. And the common object, I would say, is the desk and the bunch of books, of course, and the mirror. 
Yeah, I was I was asking what what do you need for c- consistency? I think it's all well and good that some people can write anywhere, but do you find it helps having similar things around you so when you do sit down you know that you're there to work almost and everything's not so alien? Definitely. Uh one of the things would be the mirror. I do need the mirror. <laughs> it's a mirror that I keep in the uh, at, at the desk, wherever I am. If I can, I would place a mirror, and it's a way of uh, sort of. <laughs> it's very intrusive uh, with myself. It's a way of vigilating. Uh, it's a way of watching over um, what I'm doing. A way to keep an eye on me, sort of. That's amazing. Like a like a third eye, so you can look down and making sure you're getting to work. Exactly. Um, uh, brilliant. So that's what's on the desk uh, uh, around you. Where you are right now, and when you write, when you're in Bogota, have you got much, many art on the, or uh, many pieces of art on the walls? Maybe something a bit more practical, post-it notes, for instance, or, or, or note scraps of paper that you're keeping around to let you know what you're writing that day. When I'm writing, yes, I do have. Um because I'm, in, I'm right now I'm, I'm on a desk and it's against a wall. So in this wall, I have, I always try to have certain things that would bring me back to the moments that I'm trying to describe to the moments that I'm trying to, to put down on paper. So it would always be like um, an image, an image like that, a postcard, or maybe um, I would try to, if I need print, for example, certain poetry pieces that would uh, bring me back to the tone that I am trying to recreate, that would bring me back to a certain sense of, of rhythm. Um, and in San Andres, again, um, it's very important for me to have the flag because it's a symbol of autonomy. It's a symbol of um, yearning for freedom um, and for self-determination. And I will always write from this place uh, in the soul. And it's a good reminder to keep these, this sort of paradigm uh, close to whatever I am working on. The poetry is also interesting. What, what kind of pieces do you turn to that help you tap into the rhythm of what you're trying to write? Well, it can be a song, for example, not only poetry. I remember when I uh, was writing about a certain piece of uh, the history of San Andres for, for my novel, Salt Crystals, and I, I had to keep close um, the composition of what later, much later, became the official, the, the official I'm sorry, um, anthem for the islands, uh, which was sort of um, a, also a, a self-determination moment in, in our history because it passed from being in Spanish to being in English, uh, and written by a local um, author. So I printed um, these uh, lines that are like also, whenever we, whenever a, a person from San Andres, wherever uh, he or she is in the world, if we go back to this song, we would uh, feel the chills, you know, we would we'd have the chills because um, it's just a way of, of going back home and it speaks about this nostalgia uh, for the island. So I, I wanted to keep this sense of uh, nostalgia uh, even though I was there. And of course, I cannot listen to the same song over and over again <laughs> because it would become very desperate. <laughs> so I just print um, a few lines of this uh, and just, uh, or, or, or I'd write it down or jot it down and just have it there. Um also, uh, for example, certain uh, verses of uh, anarchist poets from the Caribbean coastline in, 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 in Colombia, I would also keep this close to me. Um, just, sort, just sort of um, to, because poetry is just a synthesis. It's just an, abs- uh, an extreme abstraction, you would say, of a certain intention. Um, and this, is, this works a lot for me, or even... Uh, poems that I've written myself that I later develop into longer, into a narrative, for example. And this is, um, yeah, this is the way that, for example, this first novel worked. It was first a sort of longer, a long poem that I wrote, and then I sort of developed it into, into a narrative. Let's talk about views. I imagine whether you're writing in Bogota or particularly San Andres, uh, I imagine you've got a more spectacular view than, than many other uh, writers, especially when you're on the island, I would presume. So so just um, 
for for people listening geographically, San Andreas is um it's just off the east coast of Nicaragua in a, a nice little uh, curved spoon of sea. I would say. What can you see out your window? Well, there are two windows that I go to, <laughs> two um, terraces, um, and the space uh, where I write from is at the front of the house, and whenever I just want to relax a little bit, I just go outside the terrace and I see actually well, more houses <laughs> because I live in a place that I that I have uh, very close neighbors, and there is uh, always a Colombian flag um, in front of me, just right in my face, which means a lot to me because I write about um, resisting a sort of um, Colombian neocolonization. So this flag is always like a conflicting for, for me. But I do have many trees that are, of course, particular to this to the, to these tropics. And uh, the landscape in San Andres is marked by the coconut uh, plantation. So I have lots of coconut palm trees. I have... Um, Wow, I don't know how to say that in English, but I have lots of almendros with like almond, almond um, trees. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have. Um, I see many birds always uh, flocking around, also, um, and it's just, it's an enclosed street, so I would always see children also playing around uh, in the street. Um, what else do I see? I guess uh, the the sort of um, landscape of the plantation is always there. Although, so oh, a planting tree also is very is very much in my works. Also depicted there all the time because this plant this planting tree has a very very wide leaves and it makes a particular noise against my fence. So I would always go back to this um, to this planting tree. We get quite uh, nerdy, I would say. Uh, and we're very interested in like what you're writing on. So uh, what are you writing on? And also what font, what typeface do you use, Christina? Oh, yes. <laughs> very important for me, actually. I cannot write in, in, in Arial, for example, <laughs> or in uh, Times New Roman. It's just desperate. Um, I write in Garamond. I like Garamond. I change these every once in a while. Um, and lately I've been using uh, Garamond. Um, you know, at size 12. <laughs> and yes, I write, when you mean, what am I writing on? You want a subject or do you want um, the format? Uh, but everything, yeah, all of it. <laughs> no, well, format is pretty ordinary. I just, I use Word. Um, and I've tried other, other, um, other things but they just don't work for me um and about well i'm writing a, a bunch of things right now I'm, I'm working on an essay about because we are about to to commemorate or i don't know how to say it i mean we are about to to yes it's it's going to be 10 years from uh, the International Court of Justice of The Hague ruling about the sovereignty of the sea of the archipelago um, in a maritime dispute between Nicaragua and Colombia. And this will do on uh, mid-November. Uh, mid so I'm going to write something about this decade after uh, San Andres lost 75,000 square kilometers of sea territory to Nicaragua. And this is a wound that is still open. So this is what I'm writing uh, about uh, right now. Um, but also I'm pushing forward a few other projects. Um, I'm pushing forward a, a short fiction collection that will develop a few themes that were um, already present in Salt Crystals, which, which is the first novel. And I'm also correcting... Um, this new ambition that I have. I have a poetry book that I, that I wrote, that I, that I wrote in Berlin. And it's the first thing that I, that I produce, um, in Berlin. And I'm going to correct that, um, you know, for the context, I'm traveling tonight to San Andres, which is the place where I normally, um, where I feel, uh, the best to, to, to produce something. So I, it's going to be very interesting to correct this, to work on this uh, from the island. So, and, and a bunch of other things, but it always sounds so ambitious to do um, 
all of these things at the same time. It's just, it's the way to do it, you know, <laughs> because I was uh, traveling around a lot and now I'm going back to San Andres for a few months. And I think this will be the perfect space to sort of, um, uh, yeah, to sort of uh, revise many things. It's been a subject that I have, that I've been involved with, um, long ago so yeah the the reason why it matters is that um think of the archipelago we, we're not talking about just one island we're talking about an archipelago of three main islands um all small in size though uh integrating uh, uh an area a territory that uh, comprehends or that uh, used to comprehend uh, 350,000 square kilometers of, of, um, of area. And most of it was sea territory, of course. And um, <clears throat> most people are not really used to, uh, to think of the sea as a place where, where you can inhabit, where you can develop relations, as a place that... Uh, matters to 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 livelihoods because we are used to you know just uh, you know to stand on, on the ground of course um but we have only 27 square kilometers in san andres for example and in providence even less and saint catalina the, the other island even less so we are very de um uh, de we depend a lot on the ocean uh to survive and uh these islands have been inhabited 400 years ago, um, and even longer before that, by an indigenous community, um, the Miskitos uh, from, the, from the coast of Nicaragua, and later, uh, 400 years ago, by the African enslaved people who came into the islands, abducted, and then uh, the colonizers from the British Empire, uh, and, and they shaped a very particular society, um, an ethnic community that is now acknowledged as the, as the, as the Rysal community. And this Rysal community depends on the relations to the sea. It's a spiritual relation, but also, of course, um, um, uh, the livelihood just depends on whatever, uh, can bring, can the ocean bring. And there are lots of, for example, religious rituals that also depend on the ocean. So losing, losing 75, uh, square thousand, um, thousand square kilometers to another country means that you will no longer be able to circulate and to use this area in the traditional ways that your people have. And there are areas that are now, for example, keys that are now uh, an enclave, that are now uh, no longer easily accessible to these communities that have traditionally um, depended on them for certain in certain times of the year for certain types of catch um, that also integrate their uh, memories and their uses and their developments of, of for example a very important part of our culture which is gastronomy um, so it is very important and it is very important also because it this loss in in symbolic terms just represents the way that uh, the Colombian state has always regarded the archipelago. And it represents the failure of the state to defend the sea that ultimately, you know, we say this, the state um, seems to be like this black box, unpenetrable. Um, and you say, okay, so this territory belonged to the Colombian state and it is an act of sovereignty to be able to control um, territory. And if a state cannot control its territory, it's just uh, under the very basics of uh, uh, the theory of the state, it's a failed state. And you would very much be able to say that Colombia is a failed state because it cannot, it couldn't control this territory and so on and so on. But ultimately, this territory belonged to the Rysal people who are the ones that acknowledge, um, that have always exercised a certain type of sovereignty over this sea, that have developed relations uh, to these areas, that know the area, they know how to navigate these seas, they know the currents, they know the winds, they know the species and their reproductive cycles and the way to exploit them or to use them to their, to the, to, to their needs. So it has developed a very delicate situation and just a certain of a sort of, um, um, 
how would you say that it's just something that cannot be fixed. This failure of the state to defend this territory and to acknowledge the rice community in the way that it depends on this territory, uh, it cannot be mended. Once you've made that kind of mistake, there is just no way of correcting um, your relation to, 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 to an archipelago. It's just uh, such, such a big misunderstanding between the islands and the state, right? So it's a wound that is still open and it's going to be 10 years now from these territorial loss. And still, uh, fishermen, traditional fishermen from the islands have really no answers about how to, about what the future of, of, of their, of their life and of their way of living will be. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Um, so the show is writer's routine. So let, let's talk about uh, creative things while you're here for. Uh, talk us through a, a day in your life of writing, Christina. How does it look? When will you wake up? When will you start writing? When will you put your pen down? When will you, when will you do everything? Just run us through the whole day. Well, I would wake up really early in the morning, around uh, six in the morning. Um, well, that's really early for me, at least <laughs> six in the morning. Um, coffee would be the first thing. And I would rather not eating actually um, before I start writing. Uh, normally, uh, not every day, but at least three or four days a week, I would try to do um some yoga or deep stretching because otherwise sitting down will be very, very complicated. When I am, I have different cycles of, of production. If there is something very particular that I need to do, it would be very, very intense. And I would try actually to stay a bit isolated. I would try uh, not to leave the house <laughs> if I can. And I would sit down finally around nine in the morning after doing a few things, after cleaning and preparing my space. I can't really work from a place that seems messy or, or untidy, you know. So I'm very picky with these things. I will try to have everything as perfect as possible. So I sit down around nine or ten and just start going. Um, sometimes I play music. Sometimes I don't. And I will write until um, around uh, uh, 1 p.m. Then I will cook always <laughs> because, yes, um, again, not leaving the house. And then I will sit down again after a second coffee or with a second coffee around 3, which is when um, the weather is not so hot anymore. Uh, 3, 3.30. And I will write until... Well, after sunset, I would say until eight or nine uh, in the night. Again, this is very, very intense. And this is something that I, for example, I wrote my novel in this way. Um, and I will try to just keep as few distractions as I can. I will keep my, my cell phone in flight mode, for example. I will already have told everyone that I can't really be that much available. And then uh, this during the week, right? And in the weekends, I will slowly start coming out um, again um, a little bit um, more. But these are during very, uh, this is, this happens this way during very particular production times. Otherwise, it will just be very similar, but I wouldn't put my phone <laughs> on flight mode. Um, but I do plan my writing uh, routine routine around the weather in San Andres, around the heat, basically. Uh, so, ha sorry, how does the heat uh, affect you? If, it, if it's like too oppressive, will you take time off? Will, will you go out when it's just run us through? How, how directly does the heat affect you? Very much so. <laughs> if it's uh, if it's too much, um, I, will, I can't. You know, <laughs> it's, it's too much. I really can't. I will do other things. I will go to a different area in my house and I will just read or listen to music or whatever. But actually, it, it just, it's, for me, I can't think uh, too well. Um, or it's just uncomfortable uh, in the body if it's too hot. So I will just try to do something else if and, and if it's too much then i will just have to go to the beach <laughs> i will just have to go to the to the ocean and calm it a little bit there are times uh of the year um for example if it's june or july where it is really really hot um 
in which I would prefer to, because I do not have an air conditioner in my home, I would uh, rather changing this whole thing, starting earlier and then during, for example, from 11 in the morning, from 11 in the morning to 3 or 4 p.m., I can't really do much. So I just, I would just uh, go out or do something different and then start working again at 5 p.m. when it is cool again. So yes, it is something that I I plan around. I plan around it, and of course, the best thing that ha- that can happen to me <laughs> uh, is, is is rain. The best thing that can happen to me in the islands when I'm writing is is it's rain. You're talking about planning there. How much of your day's work and week's work is planned? Is there a an idea of how many words you'd like to get to, or a point in the story that you want to reach? No, not at all. I just met someone uh, recently that uh, reminded me of this um, this Naples anecdote, and this person was trying to to do it in the same way that he only wrote two thousand words a day. So that's even less than a tweet, um, and that's like really, really specific. I I cannot do it in that way. Once it starts flowing, it's it, it varies. You know, there are days and there are moments in which it all flows wonderfully and you just know where it's all going and and it just you know you feel you've reached a certain clarity to develop a a certain moment in whatever you're narrating and it and it flows wonderfully um and they say and this is what gabriel garcia marquez used to do as or so he says um or so there is an anecdote of course we really don't know if all of the things if these things are, are are accurate but he said that at the 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 moment to stop is the moment where you know exactly where you're going to start the next day um and it works really well of course because if you don't know then you're just going to be frustrated one more day we're just going to start one more um one more uh work day with with without uh, a sort of north so for me it's uh, it varies i there are days in which for example i need to do i need to go back to a certain research that i had conducted and go over go over it again and 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 read it again or go to a certain source or i have an, a different idea and i need to check on a video or i need to check on something or or listen to that song again or do some and then it varies but uh i think uh that's why isolation works for me um you can stay in a certain um mood uh if you are just deeply focused and that's why this um sense of being isolated really works but i don't have a routine i mean i don't plan these things i just know that i have to sit i just know that i have to you know to face uh, uh whatever i'm doing but I don't. I'm not. I can't be that strict. I. I wish I could. I. I think I would produce a lot more if I was. But it just doesn't work that way, for me. It's interesting. You say it. You say it varies. And, uh, but but yeah, you're doing research as well. Uh, when you are, when you are hunkered down, how, how long are you working for? Would you say on an average day? How how many hours do you tend to put in? It can vary. Again, uh, uh, I've had moments in which I've, I've written, I mean, in which my wrists hurt um, from how long I've been, you know, just typing. Um, and then I will, I will, and yeah, that's for a different moment in the conversation, but in, in very intense moments in which you just eat everything, it, it goes very smooth. And it's actually the body that warns you and that just doesn't let you go further. For example, I've had those moments and there are other, other moments in which I just let myself go into a certain aspect of, of, of a research in which a certain lead takes me somewhere else. And, and, and this other place takes me some other place and so on and so on. And I just want to get lost in this new um, in this new aspect that I that I may have not considered uh, before, so I do like to um, I do like to work with certain just with this flexibility, not having a certain amount of words or a certain amount of pages that I need to produce every day. I don't think that works for me. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We're back with more from Christina in just a sec. If you're enjoying the show, if you like what we do, if you've learned anything in 240-odd episodes that has changed the way that you write, just tweak things maybe. You've heard about someone's space and you thought, oh, I'll nick that. You've heard about when someone gets up, whether they do exercise before or after they write. You think, oh, maybe I'll take inspiration from that. If you've learned anything along the way, you can always support the show. It's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. For that, you get merch, you get uh, bonus content, Perhaps there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. And it doesn't take a lot, believe me, just a, a little bit. I know it's really hard at the moment. So just a little bit every month really helps us carry on. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors as often as possible. Authors, as you've seen today, authors from all over the globe with so many different stories. Yeah, they've all done the same thing. They have published a book and they're trying to help you get there too. So to support us, as we try and kind of push you on that mission... Just pledge to become a backer. Doesn't take a lot. Help us out at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then. Chatting to Christina Bendek, all about her new novel. Her first novel, just been published and translated here in the UK. Uh, Salt Crystals. It won the Elisa Mujica National Novel Prize. I probably absolutely butchered the pronunciation of that. So I really apologize. I've looked it up and I'm still, I just can't like get my mouth around it but she won the prize it's all about um victoria trying to make sense of everything on the island where she live in this half we talk about how the novel pushed itself out also what working with a translator was like how much did it uh, revitalize her style of writing kind of looking back on this thing that she'd worked on years ago and maybe coming to it from a different angle. We talk about that and we pick things up talking about writing prosaically, making it flow, making it, I guess, floral. How much did you think about the language? There are certain stories that you just know where you want to go, that you know uh, where you want to take them. And there are certain others that just go unveiling um, as you, as you write. Um, It's, it's wonderful. I think that's what's fun uh, for me about about writing is that uh, is is that aspect. If I knew exactly where everything is going uh, when when I start writing, it would be very different. I mean, it's very helpful uh, to know, uh, for example, uh, where you want to end it. Where do you want to 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 take to take your reader? But it doesn't happen the same for me. It doesn't happen this way for me always. For example, I've experienced, and it's different uh, between genres. For example, with short fiction, I've, I've 
I really don't know. I haven't known. Um, it's sort of the, the text itself sort of tells me uh, where to stop after a certain development, after a certain arc. But with the novel, um, I did know exactly how I wanted that to, to, to end, how I wanted to finish these, this, this story. So it's different. It varies, I guess, depending on, I think for longer uh, words, it's very useful to know where you're going exactly. But I, what I do need to keep very clear is the sort of paradigm from, from which the whole narrative will operate. This is very important because, of, because if not, if we don't have this clear, then the voice will just not work. Um, so maybe, yes, for longer texts, then you do need to know. Otherwise, you can get lost very easily and it will be very frustrating. With shorter fictions, I think, um, I think there is more room to just um, allow the story to take you, to, to guide you. You're talking about being things being frustrating there when the words aren't coming when it when you're finding it tricky on that day christina what do you do to help it out do you go for a a walk maybe another cup of coffee or a piece of music or reading a poem at a certain time what do you do i i (laughs) yeah different i play music um i lay down you know i just maybe i just lay down the mat uh lay, lay down in the mat and just stare at the at the at the at the ceiling for a while um or go around the house and see what else i can do i speak a lot to myself i i talk i talk alone you know and i try to 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 summon uh certain characters and you know just to talk to them um and see what's going on and see maybe explore certain lines and see what will happen uh, if I if I drop a certain line and what will develop from there, um, I think speaking to myself is pretty it's pretty key to my process. And the mirrors, because you know I would go there and say say something to me and see what goes and see what 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 comes out. But definitely, I mean, the mirrors, yoga, and and meditating are are very much key to to sort of. Um, you know, to, to sort through uh, obstacles, uh, to, through creative obstacles there. Um, going to the sea is always, uh, is always, but the thing is, I live in a very small island, so, and, and it's, it's very, one can be a little bit uh, bittered when you're sort of uh, developing something that's very important or very deep, um, and you just want to keep these voices coming and not being, not having them affected. I have these sort of um, moments in which I'm very much out there and doing things and sort of gathering things. And then these moments that I really like to protect. Um, I live in a very small island. So going out can be a little bit complicated <laughs> because um, you always run into someone. You will always um, be tempted to just keep going, keep, keep gathering, keep gathering, keep gathering. Um, and then the moment that you have these intimate private moments that you have to sort of process all of the things that you've experienced or the things that you've researched um, in first hand, um, these moments can be difficult um, to protect. So I'm very jealous about, about that. I will, if I can... Um, and again, this is different for me and this is, and this is in this way for me because I am always coming and going Remember, I just, I don't live in San Andres year round. So when I am there, I will try to have a few moments to just, you know, visit everyone, go back to the island. um, And then I will reestablish my routine and I will try to protect these. And um, I wish I could say I can just go to the ocean and come back. I mean, it would be really idyllic, but it's not like that. It's really not like that. So the new novel in the UK at least, is Salt Crystals. Now, this was published a few years ago, so I'd imagine written even a few years before that, but we'll try our best to work out the origin of it. How much, Just describe to us the first moment, as much as you can remember, that the very first idea for Salt Crystals came into your head. It was when I came back to San Andres after being absent uh, 14 years. I was uh, living in Mexico City and I came back to San Andres. Um, this was 2016. And precisely because of the um, 
I mean, there were so many things that I already didn't understand about about uh, what had happened uh, in the islands. There were many changes um, in the landscape, and there were many social changes also. And I was very curious to to understand what had happened during um, this time, this period of absence. And I also um, I remember particularly going back and not being acknowledged by people, not being recognized, and not being acknowledged as a Rizal person. So this sort of sense of um, this weird way of belonging uh, in a place where no one really recognizes you is what triggered uh, Salt Crystals. It is a novel about identity also, but coming back uh, and about um, identity, um, and it's a very spiritual um, novel, I would say, because everything that has to do with identity ultimately becomes a spiritual subject. So this is what triggered it. It was uh, in 2016, and I started working, uh, I started doing journalism in San Andres, and this was a way, I, I knew that I wanted to write a novel. I knew that I wanted to write a novel about these tensions, these uh, ethnic tensions in the islands. Um, I didn't know how, and to discover, to understand uh, how to do it was, it depended on sort of, answering very um, fundamental questions about myself and about the way that I related to this island. Um, yes, just very deep questions that, you know, seems uh, it seems like a cliche, but you do have to know who you are to write a sort of um, uh, such a personal uh, story. And it took four years, uh, three or four years to, to, of experience um, there uh, to be able to write soul crystals so it, it, it's a book it's a book where you're exploring yourself and and also uh, your place within this island within uh, and then the island's place i guess within the world uh, but it needs a plot to drive that on so what do you do next when you've got that initial theme what it's going to be a novel about exploration uh, how are you figuring out a plot line to thread through this narrative I just, I, what I did was, um, I had written a, a few other manuscripts um, that were uh, produced from a different space, from a different space in my soul, I think. And, and when I realized that I had to write what I had lived, it was a lot easier. But um, I had to fictionalize certain things because it's not all, of course, we cannot really write things the way that they were. Actually, if I had, it would be a very, it would be an impossible no one would believe that <laughs> the pact would be completely ro broken because it was a lot more magical than that. Uh, my my quest um, for 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 answers was, and the way that I found them, it was a bit more. It seems more of a fiction than 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 something real actually. And I decided I would uh, trust on characters and on a certain line of coincidences to push the story forward. And again, I did feel with this novel that it was something that it pushed itself out, actually, through me. Um, it wasn't hard. I would say it wasn't hard because, because I, again, because I knew where the story was going. I already knew what needed to be said through the voices of these characters. Um, and I knew that I needed to... To have the island as a character in itself, so it really helped a lot to build a sort of environment in which uh, the, the narrative develops. So I really, I cannot say, I cannot remember. It was so, so intense. I wrote it in, I would say, a, a bit less than two months of really intense, um, uh, of, with, with this really intense routine. And I really don't remember the way that I made the choices um, of how to develop the plot. I, again, I, I think it just, um, it pushed itself out. <laughs> it just, it's all I can say. Language is such, um, such a powerful marker of identity um, in the place where I'm writing from. So I wrote in Spanish and in a certain type of Spanish. Um, and I wrote about ethnicity and race uh, in a multilingual 
place in which we also speak English and, and, and Caribbean English and Creole and Arabic and many um, different forms of Spanish with different uh, lexicons. So I was very much aware, of course, also of um, the load that, and, that inhabits words because just a certain description can actually be completely uh, wrong or offensive or can completely can, can, can change the intention um, or can unveil a certain um, bias that I didn't want to transmit in, in the novel. So I was as careful as I could with the use of a certain type of Spanish intention in tension with, um, with the other languages that are also present in the, in the narrative. Um, the way that, uh, that, for example, landscape is, um, is depicted you know, you have to know, there are not many uh, contemporary narratives about these islands, actually. This is the first, this was the first novel that took place um, in, in, in our times, let's say, uh, that is produced in San Andres. So it was a deep concern, um, language was a deep concern, because it was a way of creating a world that didn't have any reference um, in literature. And that is always a complicated challenge. I think that's why it took so long for me um, to to know how I would write the novel that I wanted to write about coming back to San Andres, about the islands. Um, so, and still it is, you know, every time that I read the novel for whatever reason, for a translation or for whatever it is, I would still reflect on the way that I'm, that words are put there, uh, and on the way that um, that the composition works, and, and 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 on what it on what it speaks to um, to the readers um, beyond words um, itself. Um, I was very concerned about rhythm because I think, well, um, being from the Caribbean, um, from a place that has this uh, very complex identity. Um, with very recent processes of uh, sort of condensation, I was very concerned about about rhythm because memory is a concern in in, in the novel, and music uh, is a way is is the way that we've that we that we've kept past alive in 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 our cultures in our oral cultures. So I also needed to through the choices in these hegemonic languages uh, to make, uh, to acknowledge these, these aspects of, of, of ourselves. So I don't know if I answered your question, but this is the best I could do. Uh, no, it, it was perfect. Don't worry about it. You're talking about language. I think lastly, I'd like to ask you about the, the translation. So this has been translated into English by Robin Myers. Um, how much of a part do you play in that translation? Is, is there any, because it, it is written with so many different voices and, and I, I guess languages in mind. I mean, you've mentioned Spanish, a certain type of Spanish and Creole. How, how much of a part do you play when you are, when it is being translated into English? Yes. Well, it was a wonderful process with, with Robin. Uh, she worked on her, um, on her manuscript. And then when she felt she was ready, she passed, uh, she passed it to me and I read it. I made a few observations here and there. And then we worked together through certain very punctual, um, uh, uh, words and, and, and expressions that maybe were, uh, were written or, or that well were maybe very different difficult to translate because there are many again identity markers in in the novel and we went back and forth with with a few things with many questions that she posed to me um it was really fun i really enjoyed that process a lot because um before the english translation the novel had already been uh, uh circulating in portuguese and in danish and these were languages, particularly Danish, of course, uh, in which I couldn't 
I couldn't really feel uh, what had been done. You know, I also in each process, in, in, in every process, um, you have this moment in which you exchange with the translator and there are very punctual doubts and punctual questions to solve and that's it. But with English, I really felt that I could, um, I engaged a lot more. I think, um, of course, always um, from the base of, of Robin's proposal, which is translating. I mean, when I when I go to the book, it as a finished uh, book already. It's a very particular sensation that I have because I know those uh, were my words, but it's already a very different book, and it does something creatively to me that's very interesting. It allows me to to have a certain distance um, with the novel. It's very curious because this year I've worked um, uh, precisely a lot with the translation and not so much with the, with the Spanish uh, edition. And Charco already ha also has a Spanish edition of, of Salt Crystals. But I've worked a lot more with English translation and it allows me a certain... Uh, uh, it's like reading... <laughs> through a lens, but it's like already, I don't know, it allows you a certain distance that uh, your, your own work in, 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 the in the original language wouldn't allow. So it was very interesting. And uh, I would say Robin included uh, a, a very brilliant translator's note and also a glossary because it was very hard to affect the narrative with so many descriptions that would, have, that would be needed without the glossary. Um, and overall, I just enjoyed it a lot. Thank you so much to Christina Bendek for coming on the show. That novel is Salt Crystals. It is well worth reading. It is out right now. Now, next week, uh, we're chatting to the journalist, author, radio producer, Philip Wilding is coming on the show. His first novel was Cross Country Murder Song. It's an account of life across America. Uh, he's written... Uh, memoirs for people like Carl Barat from the Libertines knows everything about music he's done that whole touring around the world thing the new book is The Death and Life of Red Henley it's a noir novel about 1980s New York you can hear all about that next week on the show with Philip Wilding. In the meantime, support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Give us a follow on Twitter too. We are at writers pod there and you can get in touch at writersroutine.com. and I will see you next week on the show with Philip Wilding. Have a good week. I'll see you then. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.